Stockton Tennant's Verbal Highs Let's start the show With Lewis Tennant Here we go Guests and interviews That you're looking for With creators, innovators And so much more For all episodes And further info Verbalhighs.com Is the place to go Well, it's a lot more reminiscent Of being on Radio back in the day. Now I've got this roadcaster. I've talked about this um, device that Rock Shop very kindly hooked me up with, and it's basically a portable podcast desk rather than bunging out um, a, a recorder in front of people or other, um, you know, non-podcast specific setups. But anyway, now I get to actually hear the intro. It just reminded me of you know being on Bricky or whatever, and and um, and the excitement of an intro playing before. Uh, you talk about whatever you're going to talk about. So what I'm going to talk about today is very unplanned. I'm hopefully going to be out of your way in a relative jiffy to other intros because uh, lots is on at the moment. I currently, uh, in my work capacity, am getting my head around uh, what it means to be now uh, a full-time lecturer. I was doing mainly teaching hours for many years and now there's this research component and anyone who has uh, any insight into into what's required New Zealand research-wise, there's this thing, this government initiative called PBRF that kind of hangs over you if you've never encountered it before and you're new to this like me, it's sort of like this, this strange scary creature that lives behind the couch that people have dealt with before but everyone sort of describes to you differently. Anyway shortly I am chatting to um, I guess what you'd call if you're still in work speak an external stakeholder about an idea I have to um, try and get more jargon what we call practice based research off the ground. Um, In common parlance I would like to make an investigative documentary on a certain topic and I would like that to be justified as research rather than uh, producing a journal article. For those who know minimum about this, that's where peer review is referred to. So the the the, the bridge I'm trying to cross um, understanding-wise for myself as well as validity-wise in the long term is figuring out how things like documentaries can be considered peer-reviewed for the goblin that lives behind the couch called PBRF uh, to be sated. Um, so, yeah, chatting to someone shortly. Anyway, my guest today is uh, Jarrett Filmer. He's more widely known under a, uh, is it a non-diplume, a, um, a pseudonym? What's a non-diplume? That's the writer's version, isn't it? I'll look that up before I post this up. Anyway, he's typically Jeff 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 Russell Jeff Russell, who is a co-creator of Shit Towns in New Zealand, which started off as a successful social media page on Crackbook. And then, to their credit, they released a book which sold really well over Christmas. And now there's Shit Towns of Australia, and it's just a shit. It's just a shit based shit based media success story. Really? And it just helped that I wonder. Well, I didn't realise at first when I saw the page. I, I saw because um, Jarrett's friends with me separately on Facebook. Um, I was like, oh, that's Jarrett created that. And um, Jarrett and I used to work together. And Jarrett was always a really insightful and informed uh, gentleman when it came to uh, things like politics and culture and society. So that's the angle I went off on in the podcast. Um, and 
a good time was had by all, hopefully. So if you're new here because you saw that it's the shit towns of New Zealand guy, this is actually episode 85. Someone said to me the other day, how long has the show been going? Actually, when I went to record another episode, and which will be up shortly, and I said to her, I had to second guess myself when I said this is the beginning of the fourth year because that seems such a long time. But yeah. This is the beginning of the fourth year, and there are 85 episodes, including this one, in total, and so hopefully there's something for everybody. If you can think of someone who you think would be suitable for the show, including yourself, you're more than welcome to drop me a line, verbalhighs at gmail.com. You're more than welcome to drop me a line on that address, uh, at that address in general, if you want to chat about anything to do with the show. The website is there, uh, verbalhighs.com, then you've got all the um, billionaire um, content providers that I provide content to um, for free. Still waiting to hear back from the invoice I sent to Spotify, iTunes and Google Podcasts, but that's where you can find me or no doubt the um, the bots have found me as well. So if you use a particular um, podcast app like, what's mine called, Podbean? No, I'm not on Podbean. Doesn't matter which one I use. Anyway, you probably find me there. But uh, usual suspects um, are iTunes or whatever it's called now, Apple Podcasts. If you like and subscribe, places like that, that's a real help um, to to me, motivation-wise, but also, um, you know, stats-wise. I think that's about it. Um, as I say, another episode up very shortly. I just want a quick and dirty intro to this one and um, get it up online. And... I'm not going to re-record this despite that really long and shut up Lewis okay I'll shut up uh, ladies and gentlemen Jarrett shit towns of New Zealand uh, Russo uh, hyphen filmer this is Dr. Tannen's verbal highs so with me I have um, it's quite exciting actually it's an unmasking <laughs> I have um, Jarrett filmer who's actually the man behind Jeff Russell, who's uh, one of the men behind the Shit Towns of New Zealand Facebook page, which is now a book and a uh, kind of a like expanding Shit Towns project. Now you include Australia, right? Yeah, um, it's been a really weird journey. It just sort of started out with two of us being dicks online. Yeah, like I have been for many years, and <laughs> um, this sort of just captured people's imaginations for whatever reason, and it's, yeah, gone from there. So I was thinking like. If you had to explain um, what it is to the completely uninitiated, what is Shit Towns in New Zealand? Um, well, basically we'd describe it as a, a parody review. It's sort of yeah. like a cartoonishly scathing review of a small town or city or wherever we've visited. Yeah. Um, basically just an over-the-top travel review done, done for a bit of a laugh. Yeah. I assume you're from a shit town? Yeah, yeah, I am. Where are you from? Pukakai. Yeah. Sweet. Potatoes are good. Um, yeah, that's about it, really. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to be talking shit about them. They're not they're happy with me. So. <laughs> Why's that? Oh, just... Uh, it's um, it's a very interesting small town, shall we say. Yeah. If you're not from there, from there, it makes a big difference. I kind of know Pukekohe. Well, not... I don't know the culture there very well, but I know the location pretty well because the biggest collection of pinball machines in New Zealand's <laughs> out there, so I have some... Familiar with us, uh, familiarity with Pukekohe. How how many people are there, man? Is it like a? Is it a, when you say town? I thought it was sort of quite a big part. Yeah, of well, when I grew up there, it was about ten thousand. So it's sort of like your quintessential New Zealand small town. But I think it's it's very different now. Like it's 
Yeah. What's different? Um, it's just all the development and that many more people living there. When I was a kid, my dad used to drive us around Mangere and point out places and go, when I was a kid, that was all fields. And we go, oh, fuck up, you old dick. <laughs> and then now I drive out to Pukakari and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this all used to be fields. <laughs> right, so it's it's sort of um, the, the the farming kind of like um, provincial nature of it's changing. Yeah, I think so, yeah. They're losing a lot of the growing land. I think it's getting turned into development. It's just new, more new people. When I was there, new people wasn't so much of a thing, you know? Right. So, school out there, where'd you go to school? Uh, Pukekohe High School. Yeah. What was um, high school like, man? Um, Pukekohe was, I didn't love it, but that was because I was a bit of a weird kid. Um, one of my enduring memories of Pukekohe High School is getting beaten up on third form Mufti Day for wearing a Wu-Tang shirt <laughs> and being called Wigger for the next five years. <laughs> Could have sort of, what sort of, you say weird, what, what, made, you, what made you weird at, at school? I was just a bit of a dork, um, you know, and it was very much like play rugby, you know do burnouts, get drunk kind of school, you know? Yeah. That's what you had to do to fit in. Anyone who didn't fit into that little cookie cutter. What were you doing? Um, writing shitty Monty Python scripts <laughs> and all sorts of dumb stuff. Dungeons and Dragons, um, musical theatre, yeah, it was just... Okay, so at least I, I noticed with some of those, there's like at least a bunch of you kind of like yeah. um, outsiders, so... I think Pocky's a great place, like it's... It's like a lot of people living all these little Raymond Carver short story lives. So it's great yeah. if you want like a like a breeding ground for being creative. I think it had enough opportunity to do stuff, and there were some good teachers who really fostered that stuff. And yeah, do but, the folks still live there? Uh, they live in Tuakau. Yeah. yeah. What do they? Why, why do they move? What, what, what's the what's with the locations? Is it what your old man does, or your, what your, your mum does? Or um, I'm not so sure. They used to move around a lot when we were kids because we used to recite houses and do them up, but they've slowed down a bit as they've gotten older. Right, right, um, right, right. I think they like Tuakau. It's a bit more. It's sort of like Bukko about 15 years ago, so I think they're a bit more at home there. Right. And um, you did comms at AUT, right? <laughs> yeah. What was the ambition when you did that? Because because something, you know, an, an endeavour like that always starts with, like, this is why I want to do this, and that changes over the three mm. years or whatever, but what was your, um, you know, what was your... Um, I really wanted to be a journalist. Um, that was my desire when I started doing comms. Did you um, major in journalism? No, I did not major in journalism. <laughs> what did you major in? Um, advertising creativity. Yeah. Which wasn't really my choice. Why? why what happened? Um, basically, they just said when I came back at the end of second year, they're like, you don't have a major for third year. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting development. And they're like, yeah, you could just take a year off or something. And I'm like, hmm. So then I just went and harassed all the heads of department and advertising was the only one that would take me in. So Well, I mean, that's a interesting. It's a, um, it's certainly like if you, I mean, it's almost like the PR major in that in that it's a, it's using a set of skill sets arguably for quite nefarious means. Yeah. <laughs> but then at the same time, I really like value, you know, I, re- I, I, I do appreciate really good advertising. Yeah, I think the problem was that back then I was quite um, militant in my beliefs. I didn't take it at all seriously, and I just sort of had fun with the whole year. So is it related to what I was saying, that it didn't yeah. kind of fit your take on what you should no, be doing no, in the no, media? No, <laughs> no, not at all. I had fun with it, and I think um, my, well, my lasting memory of that was um, I was sitting in the front of a tutorial and the head of advertising at the time, who I think has left, so it's probably okay to tell the story. Yeah, sure. Um, wandered in and he goes, that fucking Jared, I'm so sick of dealing with that prick. And he didn't realise I was sitting in the front row. What we on this tire- I was just sitting there leaning against the wall. No, but what did you? been doing to inspire them? Um, I just, just picked the eyes at everything. I was just a real sake sort of, you know, a serious young person and I didn't think I should be doing Sitting everything. there with your beret on like Yeah, or just like <laughs> what is the 
Because some of the assignments they gave us was just utter nonsense. Like it was supposed to be a real world experience, but it was yeah. just one of their mates that had an ad that needed to be written, and it would just be the most diabolics. And so you would have been aware of like you know, there's interesting tensions with how does PR sit with journalism? Oh yeah, you know, it's almost like it's a codependent relationship that kind of um, paradoxically opposes each other at the same time and then you've got advertising thrown in did you actually did you um look for advertising based work after that or um well basically at the conclusion of advertising you produce a portfolio yeah which i produced which was full of joke ads that weren't real um and i got a couple of like internship things after that but they were just like i i was in a position where i could do internships for months on end without getting any money like it just wasn't a reality for me and i'd do something i didn't really want to do anyway you know yeah um, so did, did you i mean did you Enjoy the degree overall? What did you take from it? That um, it was very up and down. I yeah. made some good friends in it, um, but I think when I was there, the quality of it was just one paper would be amazing, and another paper would just yeah. be diabolical. Yeah, um, I think that's like anything of, yeah. of that scale, right? And we met at um, Chong Newstel, which is yeah. an interesting intersection <laughs> for people of a media persuasion. How did you end up there? And, and um, I, I needed a job, yeah. and not knowing what it was, it seemed vaguely media adjacent. <laughs> I think that's how it works for a lot of yeah. people, right? It was inside and yeah. it seemed pretty quiet and I was like, I yeah. can do this. Yeah. I'm typing things into a keyboard. It's kind of writing, kind I'd of. Co- I'd come back from like Australia after years and I was making coffee. I'd like serious step back from what I'd been doing. Not, you know, not that there's anything wrong with the barista role, but in terms of being 30 plus and what I plan to do, I was like, I'm doing something media, yeah, you know, and I think that accounts for, like, you do get a mix of kind of, like, aspirant kind of media yeah. people there, right? I think it was cool because you had a lot of people who kind of saw it for what it was, which was, like, a reasonable playing job with flexible-ish hours, and you yeah. could go do your creative thing on the side. Right. So lots of cool people like that. There's some decent people I met there. There was also people who thought they were going to be presenting the news or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but then in that middle ground, I think that what it does for you, like if you do have an interest in that field, is it really quickly um, makes you very informed on a whole lot of things oh, yeah. going on in New Zealand yeah, and globally. Absolutely. So to explain, if people don't know what media monitoring is, um, it might have changed now, but when we were doing it, it was quite human hands-on. It would be a bunch of people with headphones on um, monitoring when a client was mentioned. And that might be, it was often like public service, right? Like um, Mm. a lot of government departments, um, party leaders, but also it was like the sort of um, corporate uh, organisations you'd expect, like McDonald's and whatever. And you go through and basically get a dossier of what's said about them on the day, right? Yeah. And and send it through. And it's influenced by if there's a major event that involves them, then they step up the level of of monitoring they want, right? Yeah, that's... How long were you there? Um, I think I was at Chong for three or four years until it shut down. Okay. And did you move to that new organisation? <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay. What did you do after that, man? Um, I, I think I was unemployed for about a year, which was an adventure. And then I was working at Sky Sport doing logging to begin with. Yeah. Which is basically just watching. I, my first job there was I spent three weeks watching um, curling at the Winter Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Writing down highlights uh, from that. So that was kind of an interesting experience yeah and why 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 did they need the curling intel man um well basically i I think this is going to be the new big thing for new zealand everything had to be logged everything had to because there's potential highlights and everything so they just get some poorly played person to sit there and just watch all of it and so you're the new guy and you get curling and someone else gets like yeah rugby and it was like from 11 o'clock at night until about eight in the morning 
And I was like the only one in this massive office just sitting there watching curling and writing writing notes. Again, it seemed vaguely media adjacent. <laughs> but it seems like so, you know, outside of that, you've tapped away on like working at, at, at projects sort of independently. I see you someone who is someone who's like always sought gainful employment as we need to. It's yeah. related to the field, but um, you've been kind of banging away and then this sort of like Facebook um, yeah, lol, I, this Facebook <laughs> lol turns into a potential... Um, yeah, know. I definitely think I've almost, maybe not sabotage, but because I've always had that desire to be writing and doing that, I've never really taken a career maybe as serious as I would have if that was the only thing I had going on. Yeah. So what have you learnt about um, New Zealand since starting the shit town? Um... Yeah, it's an interesting one. I've learned that not as many New Zealanders have a sense of humour as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I'm, the thing I'm shocked is that people still take it seriously to this day. Yeah. We still get people that swallow it whole and get very angry about it. Yeah. Which is never really our intent, but that's, yeah. it's funny. But it's, yeah, that wasn't really what we were trying to do. Don't you think that sounds like a microcosm of how all media and communication functions these days? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, the, my first inkling I got when it was getting out of control was I was on holiday in Hawaii, <laughs> and before we'd gone, I'd done this like little bit with New, Ze- uh, New Zealand Herald just from the website, yeah. and they were supposedly doing this thing about people who had annoyed small towns, and we'd annoyed the mayor of Cromwell. Yeah. We only had 20,000 followers, like whatever. Yeah. So I'm sitting in a, um, in a brewery in Hawaii, quite tanked, and <laughs> Nick, the guy I write it with, yeah. messages me and goes, John Campbell wants to talk to you. <laughs> It's good. It's funny how we find these opportunities, <laughs> yeah. right? So I'm sitting in a car, sweating, like drunk, talking to John Campbell, talking about the ethics of comedy, and like on like, on visually yeah. or just audio, audio. Okay, that's good. That's good. That's like that. You know, that's like if if you work from home, you only have to sound like you're dressed at ten yeah. in the morning. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. The different the different reactions is a funny thing, man. Like like parody parody seems to baffle some people. What do you re- what do you reckon's the secret to to parody rather than sort of like an out and out um, diss, <laughs> an out and yeah, out unconstructive um, diss? We sort of always hope that there's enough craft and thought has gone into it, so it's not yeah. just like a screed of abuse. That's actually yeah. something. And and for us, the real jokes are in the absurdity rather than necessarily the the cruelness of it. Right. So you push the boat out so far in terms of like the insults that people mm. would clearly see. We're sort of working from a position where we assume that the person that writing them is kind of almost a parody of those people that go on like Yelp reviews and write horrible reviews of restaurants and that sort of thing. Where there's this person that. They're so self-involved. They think their their opinions that important. That it's like the word of God almost, <laughs> and that's kind of what we're parroting. But maybe also, yeah, also like it's a, sort of a bummer um, reflection on society. Like I think some people don't kind of get where different media comes from. No, no. You know what I, do you know what I mean by that? Oh no, you definitely. There's yeah, yeah. Older people, particularly, I think, just think because it's been put on Facebook, someone's given it permission that it's somehow valid or has some sort of power. Yeah, they, that you've got the sort of same like checks and balances <laughs> and kind of like you know um, overall approaches like the Herald or something. Yeah, yeah. Like who's who approved this? Why is this allowed? <laughs> it's like just no one. <laughs> what are the what are the um, key categories of of reaction? Um. You get the people who are sort of like the, you can tell they're the upper crust of the small town. They're, just, yeah. they're very offended that anyone would ever say anything horrible about it. They're the people that usually will come out with the, you're affecting property prices or tourism or something like that. Um, there's the people who get like kind of internet angry and I don't know if they're actually illiterate or they're just like pretending yeah. to be and you yeah. get sort of misspelt death threats and... Um, Have you noticed? I've heard you say, well, like when you talk to Jesse on RNZ, I, I noticed that you said you're otherwise not really that engaged with Facebook. But at the same time, you, 
I'm guessing you would have had a pretty good look at kind of who's commenting. Have you noticed a lot of those, I want like almost like, not Russian troll in this instance, but there's a lot of people with, I noticed a lot of people that make the most angry and destructive comments have like one stock photo on their yeah. profile. Mm, I do wonder if there's something like that going on. Because um, when you do get like a really, really angry response, you do click on it and just say, who's this that we've made this angry? And Well, they'll, they'll be like, CEO at full-time mummy school of hard knocks and they'll be like pictures of Dobermans and stuff and you're like oh okay YouTube comments used to really like um, disturb me until I realised like the, the demographic of the whole planet and I'm like this is like 14 year old kids trying to figure out who they are in society kind of angry hormones running yeah. through them as well right on that note like I mean did you really take the death threats seriously? Not, not hugely. Initially, we just stayed anonymous because you never really know who's making death threats, and you know. But I, we didn't really take them with any, you know, real seriousness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like people were getting pretty angry. It was. It was <laughs> yeah, but like I say, like keyboard picture of a bunch of flowers, like school of hard knocks, yeah. anonymous well, angry. There was, there was like um, <laughs> the mayor of the South Waikato said that we should be shot. Yeah. Stuff like that was a bit kind of like, well, that's, you're supposed to be a serious human with a proper job. Like. You know what I love about that, though? Again, if you understand parody, is like, I've often, like a key criteria for, I'm probably preaching to the choir here, for me for voting, is not only policy and, and, and all those kind of like, you know, systematically important things. It's like, what kind of person is this person? Like, yeah. what is their approach to mm-hmm. things? What is their approach to other humans? What is their understanding of humour? Like, you know, what? Yeah, yeah like, I think that really exposes people, man. There's another mayor who I won't out because I'm not sure how, <laughs> but he was fully in on it, and he's yeah. like, "I'm going to go in full WWE. I'm going to drop the hammer on you guys. Can you guys play along?" And we right. had a whole thing back and forth. It was great. great. And then yeah, right. And someone like Shadbolt springs to mind. Oh, yeah, probably yeah. have some like totally goofy, like yeah. you know, serious response to, to what's going on. Yeah. You're a, I couldn't think of how to put it, but like you're a media nerd. You're into a whole lot of different like yep. quality films, books, music, so on and so on. Um, what are the like direct sort of um, lines to Shit Town? Where do you think it comes um, from in terms of what you like? Yeah, I have thought about that a lot. Um, I've always really enjoyed Charlie Brooker's scathing reviews. Yeah. Um, but that stuff's art. Like, I, I wouldn't put us in the same category as that, but it's definitely an inspiration. Yeah. And look how far he's taken things, man. Yeah. Um, his his reviews just... I remember reading his reviews and I had no idea what he was talking about because it was English TV that we didn't get over here and just like being in... in Is that the screen wipe stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, black books, I mean, that started off something that I was talking about with students where no one kind of knew what I was mm. talking about and it's really good to see um, that level of kind of social commentary having become quite mainstream watching. Yeah, it's pretty weird, eh? Like, it's almost snake eats its own tail kind of thing, right? Yeah, you got it, you got it, you got it. So there's that. What else? Any other influences? Um, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of just all comedy writing in general. Like, I'm always sort of quite omnivorous when it comes to that stuff. So there's probably all kinds of bits and pieces that pop up. Yeah. Um, I love absurdity, so stuff like Monty Python, that's always sort of fed in. Yeah, yeah. Um, Spike Milligan. I was thinking New Zealand-wise, like... um, you kind of got your Fred Daggs, you've got your yeah, Billy T's, you've got your um, New Zealanders. I find have a f- we have a funny response sometimes. They eh? like when I when I um, heard about you doing shit towns of Australia. One of the first things I noticed that was a big social difference over there 
was they have a much better ability to kind of like send and receive shit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit of a national disgrace. But while they have been people get mad in Aussie, it's not nearly been the same scale, and there's more yeah. been people just enjoying it and loving it. Yeah, um, which is a big because we didn't know if we'd be able to get it right, you know, get the voice right and, and the tone and everything. How did, did you? I mean, I know it's just a passion project, man, but like. How did you research the Australian zeitgeist? <laughs> um, well, we did, because everyone said you need to do Australia, because I yeah. think there's a lot of Kiwis living in Australia. Yeah. So we did like an Australia week kind of as a test on the New Zealand page. Yeah. And we just did like, a lot of Australian sites. And it seemed to go really well. So we're like, okay, maybe you know, we're there or thereabouts. We'll just give yeah. it a crack and see how it goes. Yeah. How did it end up? Well, it just made an impression over there based on those posts and stuff and the noise that the New Zealand version had made here. Yeah, um, I think we were up to 100, nearly 190,000 on Australia, so wow. it's sort of just grown organically. Um, wow. And um, so you're working more on over there, I guess, now, because there's more places. Yeah, actually, that, that's like, um, that's like, just thought about it. It's like when prisoners do things like paint the Harbour Bridge and then when it's finished they start again because there's nothing else to do. Like, <laughs> What happens when um, you run out of towns in New Zealand? Do you just we're, reinvent we're flinging? Pretty, yeah, we're pretty, um, pretty close to it. I think we try and do different ways of d- delivering jokes. Um, I don't know, we might just go a bit crazy and do something silly with the page if, yeah, we've run out of towns. But, yeah. um, there's yeah. got to be a, like some sort of like Live show in this man. There's got to be. I don't yeah. know if that's your that's your buzz, but I, we thought about it. <laughs> I kind of thought about doing like a real messed up version of it's in the bag. I'm just about to. I was just about to say it's time for like a, a, a like um, you know a, a subversive reboot if it's in the bag. <laughs> it's in the point bag or something. Yeah. Um, I yeah. I I'm, don't really have any great ambitions in specific. I just kind of want to keep doing stuff and. and if something and I like working with pe- the, the right people, you know, if it's yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. But I don't want to just do stuff to do it. Speaking of that, man, I, I noticed that coincidentally, I mean, I might have the timing slightly out here, but like provincial representation's really fallen off in New Zealand since um, where media comes from, but it's become so centralised. Yeah. So it was interesting that Guy Williams' show, kind of like mm. with a similar kind of feel, came out around the same time as you. Did you guys notice that? Like, what yeah. was his show called? Uh, New Zealand Today, I think. New Zealand Today. I don't know why they came I think it's, that. it's a similar sort of thing that we're both going after. Like, I think it's an established kind of comedy thing that hasn't maybe been served or depicted. But um, Oh, Havoc's Tour of New Zealand. I yeah. just realised another link to your... <laughs> Another another piece in the lineage, yeah. It's those guys still can't go to bulls. <laughs> I think Jeremy got run out of bulls only a few years ago. What have you written about bulls? Do you remember? I think um, we got away with that one mostly. No, Gore. Gore. It was Gore. Yeah, no, we gave Gore. I think the pro- Gore and Huntley aren't terribly wound up because I think they've had it so much. They're sort of just like, oh, okay, whatever. It's the towns that don't expect it. They're really fire up. Um, but yeah, like it was quite funny when we went to Huntley with the project, and when we were doing the shit town of the year, and yeah. like, I was interviewing people, and, and like in my full get up and stuff, and yeah. they were going like, "Oh, this guy, if he was here," and I'm like, "Yeah, I am," and they're like, "Oh, okay." Is that where you like you try and you make cleverer, um, you sort of make cleverer evaluations than just like Hamilton and STDs? You know, that's where you try and you try and sort of extend the extend the whip a bit. Yeah, like we try not to go after the things that have been done before, and again, like the absurdity, we try and find the weirdest things um, that we can have a go at, and because and, and, you don't want to just be doing the same tight old jokes. Yeah. We, can, we can do any town, and you'll get people complaining, going, "There's not enough jokes about meth heads. There's not enough jokes about incest." It could be any town. Every time we get those complaints, it's like, right. this- well, "Where's the complaint channel?" 
People are just messaging us and saying, oh, right. <laughs> you don't mention the incest. It's like, this page is not called Meth Incest New Zealand. Like, <laughs> We don't know about the incest. We're not quite that uh, you know, involved in the shitness of, of said town. Yeah. What's some of your favourite humour in general? Um, it kind of changes. Like, I go through a lot of stuff, um, yeah. so I'm always looking for new things. Um, I watch a lot of stand-up. Yeah, which is kind of tricky at the moment because it's yeah a bit of a minefield. It is, yeah. Um, so, what do you think about that man with that minefield? Like, um, to me, like something like what you're doing kind of speaks in a way to outrage and kind of cancel culture. And then this is sort of like sometimes this quite like contradictory um, liberal want for for safety and equality that kind of comes across as a typical sort of yeah, conservative um, approach to censorship. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, it's a tough one. Like, I think you have a responsibility to consider what you're saying, but yeah. um, I think some people, I don't know, I, I feel like it's easier to attack jokes rather than, like, structural things in society because you can look at a joke and point at it and go, that's what's wrong, put it on Twitter and get some yeah. likes. Yeah. So what do you think of, I'm just assuming that you watch, like, the Ch- new Chappelle specials? What do you think of those? Um... There's some bits I think are great. Some yeah. bits I think are he's 50-odd and he's lost his fastball and isn't quite as plugged in as he used to be. Yeah. You know, that happens to basically every comedian. But do you go so far back, based on what I was saying, as to say that that, like, is socially reprehensible and content no, that shouldn't? No, not at all. Like, yeah. I think people should be allowed to say, I didn't like that or I didn't agree with that joke. Yeah. But like this, I don't think people should be prevented from saying them. I think it's the beauty of stand-up comedy is it's one person with a microphone they can say whatever they want. Yeah, it's that funny thing of like that famous quote about pornography where it's like, I don't know obscenity until mm. I see it. It's like, where's that line drawn between like, you know, um, speech injurious to the public good and like you say, an old dude who's slightly pitched his tone wrong, <laughs> yeah. you know, who is a brilliant like social mm. commentator, right? I also think... I think it takes away a little of responsibility from the audience, right? Where you just want to be spoon fed and it has to be safe and it's preordained as being safe rather yeah. than you going, actually, I like that joke, I didn't like that joke. Yeah, yeah, um, that, yeah that's right. We, as audiences, like, the audience has become far more like um, demanding on what it mm. does and doesn't kind of receive. Do you reckon Eddie Murphy will, um, do you reckon he'll hit the ball straight or whatever your, whatever your <laughs> metaphor was when he um, comes on back? I don't know. That's a tough one. I, I love those. Those stand-up specials, Raw and Delirious, growing yeah, up, like, that yeah, was cool. Yeah. I watched one of them, and it's just, it's not at all, like, no, it's no. of its time, and That's it's, right. you know. Um, I did see him on Comedians with Cars with Jerry Seinfeld, and he sort of had some interesting ruminations on the whole where comedy's going that, so I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah, he still seemed, like, you know, socially, and yeah, he still seemed fully engaged. I wouldn't have expected yeah. less. Yeah, but it's not like he's gone and made Dr. Doolittle, and then he hasn't paid attention to comedy for 30 you, you, years. You know, you know why... You know, he went through that period of, like, shitty, not so shitty, but generally shitty family films. Mm. Do you know the story behind why the animals were funny and he wasn't in Dr. Doolittle? No. Um, this is documented. This is, this, this is not some weird 18th hand story. <laughs> um, it was reasonably soon after he'd been caught with uh, a transgender um, prostitute and apparently he was reconciling a whole lot of stuff in his life and he didn't have the chops for um, delivering as a humorous actor and I think it was tied in maybe with antidepressants or whatever as well. So they had to rejig the script so that that the animals were funny (laughs) and Eddie Murphy was kind of like the the straight man. man. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but he's in that's an interesting career, man. Like because he was, you know, he was incredibly young when he was like on Saturday Night Live and just forty eight hours. Have you watched that back, yeah. man? Like that's first, like an almost perfect film of a genre, man. The first five or six years of his career, are just I don't think anyone's ever had that career. Like it's amazing, yeah, and, and so young and yeah. so young, so young, and um and and and, and like yes, yeah, such such freaking like iconic film and comedy moments of the 80s yeah. right and then Harlem Nights <laughs> which I which I watched I watched him on um, on um, uh, who's the black chat show host who looks like Smithers from The Simpsons uh, yeah no it's escaping me now um, anyway I watched him on his chat show like sort of knowing that that film was shit like during the promotion run for it but trying to find kind of trying to find other ways to talk <laughs> about the value of the film it's quite interesting I think comedians have got like maybe I don't know there's a lifespan like a 7 to 10 year like where they've got that prime and they're really really good and then you know well the only one I can think of that did and then obviously what happened happened is Cosby <laughs> He's the only one who kind of like yeah had a second stayed. yeah reinvented himself and became that yeah but that yeah, didn't yeah. work out in the end. Who is the black talk show host that looks like Smithers from The Simpsons? I'm thinking like everyone in '90s parachute pants. Um, uh, not a scenario hall. Yes, yes. Thank you. The guy from Police. I'm really good with names today. <laughs> the the guy from Police Academy who's since gone on to become quite a quirky independent director um, who had the who's that guy um, he set fire to Arsenio's couch oh wow before he I think went into recovery soon afterwards <laughs> <laughs> your love of cinema as well man I heard you talking about um, Big Lebowski which I assume translates to the Coen brothers yeah is cinema cinema kind of sustainable with a modern audience like I tried to watch um I tried to watch The Irishman. I did watch The Irishman, and, and, and I enjoyed it, but I thought, man, that kind of film is, like, on the way out. Um, not stylistically, but pace and delivery-wise, you yeah, know, with, I, with audiences. I'm a big Scorsese fan as well, and I watched yeah. that movie, and I loved it. But the end of it, I was like, would I have loved this more if I'd seen it in a cinema? And I, I, yeah. yeah, I just would have. Like, it's, I, it makes me sad that there's a whole, like, genres of movies that just don't get made anymore. Yeah. Um, and why do you think that is? Is it to do with like attention span and stuff like I'm alluding to? Um, I think it's the, the economy of how they've set up the cinema business now where they've got to have like these billion dollar global movies. Like they do one of those versus, you know, they used to do 20, 50 million dollar movies or whatever. And yeah. it was a bit of a lotto, but now they know if they make an Avengers movie and market it in the right way, they're going to make their money back. Right. And a global film's about what sort of like things like action and. Um, visuals kind of translating to a more global audience. I think quite subtle um, English-based stuff doesn't transfer to a global no, market in that sense, right? That's what I've heard. That's my understanding. Yeah, of what it, it sort of has a lot of rough edges shaved off it, so it's suitable for all sorts of different audiences. And but then I guess on the flip side is I sort of think well. 20, 25 years ago we didn't have a lot of the TV that we have now so maybe that's a trade-off we've sort of made Yeah, we're in the mid-90s you didn't have you know Breaking Bad or Mad Men or any of that stuff so oh man with my teaching like that's the thing with teaching in comms man is you if you stick to the same um, the same outlook and you know you can be like completely left behind if you're mm. still saying like um, film does this and television does that where television now you know obviously we teach is like the form that's taking on a lot of those high production values and so on I was thinking more about 
um, attention span, though, man. Like I tried to watch The Godfather recently, and I was like, <laughs> I can't even do this now, let alone being 19, But 20, the crazy thing you know? is we'll rip off like five or six episodes of a TV show without even thinking about it, eh? But like a three-hour movie seems like a weird commitment. Yeah, but do you find that even like with something that's, 40 minutes long, your period of like, will I or won't I is a lot shorter? Yeah, I think it's the, um, the proliferation of choice now. Like, I find it so, much, so hard to pick something to watch. Totally. And it's like before we used to have three TV stations, you just watch whatever was on. Bro, you'd go to the video shop yeah. and you'd spend all that time there, but once you took that thing and invested yeah. that money in that one thing, <laughs> you hadn't invested $15 in Netflix for the month. Yeah. You'd invested $10 in yeah. that one film. So even if it was average to below average, you yeah. generally got through it. I was trying to explain it to some <laughs> younger people, but like buying music was the same when I had like yeah. 20 bucks to buy an album every week. Yeah. And I had to go and I'd listen yeah. to it and go, is this the album I want yeah. to invest in? Yeah. And then you bought it, took it home, and it was a bit shit. You just yeah. the whole week's ruined. Yeah, and you'd, you'd hate it or you wouldn't like it or you'd be like, meh. And then because you'd paid for it, it would stick around. And then maybe six, nine months later, you'd go, this is amazing. Yeah. Whereas now it's just like most of my iTunes library is just a great un- unknown. Yeah, I, I don't know how, like, I spent a lot of my teens and 20s, you'd like, you'd find a band you like and then you'd read about that band and who yeah. the influences, you go find all that stuff. I don't yeah. know what I would do if I did Spotify and it's all there. Yeah, I guess, but I, this comes up a lot on this podcast. That I get, you know, the thing that I, I always say is, don't want to sort of sound like a, a bunch of like late millennial slash Gen X is like, you know, moaning about the present. Like, mm. I think people find their own lanes. I'm just interested yeah, yeah. in, like, I just think how they find those, you know? Yeah, I think you can start to see musicians now where, like, they're making use of having all of the music ever at their disposal. And it's yeah. creating totally different music, and it's awesome. And it's yeah. different to, like, what we grew up with. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's interesting to see how that impacts it, that, that availability of everything. And, and production, like, getting back to what I was talking about with um, what will change with, like, how film and TV's narrative form or whatever like if you want to try and make a pop hit these days and that's your singular lane like you want to make music for most widespread popular consumption apparently the intro is really important now because of that whole shuffle shift yeah. culture mm. you want you if you had a stairway to heaven intro these days <laughs> if you were, if you know if you were actually really trying to make something for a pop market that would be suicidal you want to introduce a bunch of like quick fire yeah. ideas I find that stuff really interesting, how it changes consumption. It's it's pretty awesome. Absolutely. We talked about cancel culture and freedom of speech, and... Yeah, I think the thing I'd just like to say about that is, like, as much as people make a big deal out of it, no one's really actually stopping anyone from saying anything. Oh, yeah. Like, no one's forcing anyone to move to an island and, like, you know, like, it's... Yeah, but I I think in New Zealand it's a bit different. We do... I mean, I think, yeah, I'm drawing a lot of that narrative from what we hear about the US and the UK but I do think a few careers have been taken down right yeah um, I think it depends how people handle it as well too like Chappelle sort of or maybe because he just has a stature that he can sort of shrug it off but um, yeah I think it does depend on how you handle it and, and what you're doing if you're doing it without consideration you kind of just I'm going to tell the same old jokes I've been telling for 30 years because that's what I do I just was a very American centric um, focus on stand up comedians but but never mind. Just thinking about New Zealand as well. So this is this is a this is a large existential <laughs> communications question. What's what's broken information wise? Where, where we find up where we find ourselves where we are today with our leadership and well not our leadership our global leadership. Um, I think there's too much information probably con- yeah. constantly. I think yeah. um, it gets harder to figure out what's actually important, what's real. Um, yeah, yeah, it's. 
it's a definitely interesting time where it seems like the global political scene seems to be fairly broken. Yeah. Um, people want to say that it's social media, but I'm not 100% sure. It seems like maybe an easy yeah, easy target. You know what someone says to me about the more information thing? There's something in this too, like um, that maybe everything always was as corrupt and broken as it is now, <laughs> but but we, you know, the, the yin yeah. to the yang of like fake news and shitty commenters and stuff is we actually like know so much now what is going on is more exposed. Yeah, I think it's almost certainly true. Like, I, I don't think people have gotten worse all of a sudden. Um, it's probably just more aware of it. And with that, I have this neurosis now where, like, I'm, I'm, less, I'm less certain and sure of what my global reality is than <laughs> I was perhaps even when I was being delivered a more, like, manufactured message. I don't know. It's funny, the thing with Trump is that it kind of... Uh, I find it reassuring in a way that like things haven't gone badly wrong, so you could pretty much put anyone in the White House and like <laughs> yeah. it'd be more yeah. like this. He's done some bad stuff, but it's not like monkeys aren't riding horses. And well, you know. it proves that that role is a kind of a ribbon cutting cutting role in a, yeah. in, a, in a way, right? Oh, he's done um um like horrible things to the environment, that sort of stuff. But like it hasn't gone to chaos in you know three years. Yeah, yeah. He mm. um you know he completely dismissed all his chief of staff and associated. Um, kind of advisors. There's a book that's come out recently that's that's real. That kind of got me riled up about him again. I try not to post about that <laughs> stuff too much. Everyone does. It really riled me up as to just like his. It's his selfishness that bothers me. That's actually what bothers me mm. is is the fact that he seems to be outwardly the most selfish, least um, community minded or considerate leader that they've ever had. Yeah, I mean, that's, right. that's not even really up for debate, is it? Like, yeah. He's just, my worry is that someone who's actually a lot more evil or like a, deliberately evil than him will take his playbook and then want, will do all the things he's done. But, but actually, that's what I'm meaning there where you go, that's a given, isn't it? But what I'm getting, why I'm really isolating that is I think that's different than a more traditional understanding of evil. He's mm. not, I don't think he's evil in a like... He hasn't got a master plan he's, or anything. He's, he's just, just a, he's self obsessed. Yeah, like a selfie, selfish, greedy child in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, kind of a kind of a kind of an amazing, like almost like a gumball popping out of a machine of U.S. history. Really, is what <laughs> I think. In a way, Trump though, is. he is part of like if you, he's not that much different to George W. Bush. He's just a little bit more brazen, a little less. Bush kind of had that the. Um, yeah, because of his family and his history, like he looked a little bit more respectable. But he was like a cokehead who crashed his car and nearly bankrupted a baseball team. And then, like, <laughs> he's not entirely dissimilar. They're all. I mean, you know, like um, Obama was, despite his best intentions. When, when you talk about again how, you know, that role is 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 controlled. Obama um, was pretty soon bought out by the military industrial complex, whether yeah. he was um, his hand was forced mm. or not. You know. Yeah, well, he's the one that expanded all the drone use, which is sort of, you know... George Bush has got to be pretty happy that Trump got elected, right? That day's got to be... <laughs> well, he's not the biggest um, blight on US <laughs> political history now. Historians love making those worst presidents in, in history lists, so he's definitely not on the <laughs> bottom. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's sort of a cuddly toy now, yeah. in comparison. <laughs> what about New Zealand, man? Do you think that, um, do you think that um, Labour will make another term? Um, I don't know. It's it's tough. Uh, I'm I'm a massive left wing person. I, yeah. I find Labour a little bit disappointing. Yeah. Um, I, I th- they always seem so focused on getting reelected rather than actually doing stuff and making changes. Yeah. Um, which I guess is part of the game. But 
Do you yeah. think that's a labour problem or the or the problem of the three year cycle? I think that yeah, the three year cycle incentivizes people yeah, it's, it's to a playbook that isn't productive. That's ridiculous. It should be at least four years. I don't understand any logical argument against it really. Yeah. What do you reckon? Why an extra year? Just just stretch it out a little bit more. Yeah, well, implement a few more things. Well, because you have the one year they're just getting everything, especially with the yeah. MMP. We've got to get the coalition sorted, and then this year's just going to be all campaigning. So they're not going to really achieve much this year. Well, also any good um, researcher who deals in um, measurable outcomes knows that a longer period means that you can better measure mm. the results of what you've and implemented rather than have kind of, you know, um, someone in the opposition come in and say, and flip, you know, what, 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 what's occurred. And if you look at New Zealand history, we've more or less, like most parties get three terms, unless you do yeah. something egregiously wrong. Oh, really? Is that like a, a noticeable... Yeah, it's pretty yeah, much. I yeah. think like... I think from the 80s, I think oh, yeah, it's pretty standard. True. Yeah, in my lifetime, yeah. You know, so, like, if you had four years, a uh, four-year term, like two years, that's similar to a three-year three, three year term, so it's, yeah. it's not that much different. Yeah. What do we... So, the sh- <laughs> if your side hustle or your main hustle <laughs> is shit towns in New Zealand, what is New Zealand doing well? <laughs> um, I think we're pretty... Uh, we've got a lot of good stuff. Um, yeah. I think we need to have a bit of a look at ourselves, though. I think we maybe have uh, ourselves too high regard of, like, we seem addicted to those, like, we came top of this, the world's most livable, you know? Uh, like, you're a tall poppy guy. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> um, I think we're in a real crux where I think we can either go forward or, or go quite, you know, we could go down Australia's route, I think, as a country. What do you mean by Australia's route? Um just sort of like electing people that are um, selling the country out to just make some money, and like the, the in the stage of world history we're at, we've got a real clear turning point coming up. And what do you mean by that? Um, well, I think we're either we're going to sort of reshape our economy and our society to deal with climate change and all, yeah. all the attendant things that go along with that, or yeah. we're going to pretend it doesn't exist, or like do the bare minimum and just deal with the fallout. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the that is the um, pressing issue, right? Like, will the will the like dirt covered ball that we <laughs> kind of rock on survive? Yeah, <clears> I just, it does my head when you read like dairy lobbyists and stuff going on about how everyone's going to keep eating red meat and nothing's ever going to change, and then you read stuff about how like there's synthetic meat that's basically going to be cheaper and better in like two years' time, like. Strictly from an economic point of view, it's yeah. ridiculous that you're yeah. not adjusting to that stuff. You just made me realise that it's all linked, right? Like a three-year cycle is is kind of kind of in a way linked to that short-term thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's no there's nothing in it for a politician to think about twenty years down the track. Oh, uh, just like, this is almost like um, that that stonerish moment when you kind of try and like <laughs> conceptualise what the universe is <laughs> and the planet you're on. This is what happens to me when I think too deeply about how you unfuck climate change <laughs> yeah. because it's so yeah. related to such long-term yeah. ingrained social, political, and cultural systems. And like, to be honest, and, and it's corruption going to be towards the end of our lifetimes, hopefully, when we actually know whether we've done good or not, right? Like it's going to be 2050, 2060. We're actually of the generation where I think we could ride it out and do the best we can and then leave it to... There you go. Oops, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just find it funny because I grew up with New Zealand where the, the whole uh, nuclear-free, and I was told that we're a country, no matter how small we are, we stand up for what we believe in and we yeah. do the right thing. And then you kind of, are we? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Is that ingrained as I thought it was? But I think conversations going full circle, that comes back to more singular messages. Um, mm. Like, you know, is do people 
to people adhere to those sorts of things when they're just getting a hold of kind of memes and um, you know video clips thrown at them? What are we? What what are we perception wise if we kind of exist in this hubbub of of of? Do you know what I mean? There is yeah, that a yeah. stonerish approach to things. No, I, as I well. fully get what you mean. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's you, you feel like you're wading through stuff. Like what's important, what's real. It's it's, it's tough to know and tough to to key on. And that also comes back to that sort of like. What is the intention of the message, and you know, does, is it delivered by nefarious means, or is it actually just a bunch of stupid people like making noise to divert mm. from? Well, there was that whole thing with the last Australian election where there was all those those ads saying that basically the Labor Party was going to stuff up your superannuation, and it was based on utter lies. Yeah, and who was responsible for that? You know, like that whole sort of thing. I think is quite nefarious. Yeah, it's kind of social engineering, but sometimes I wonder whether there should be some kind of like this is this is a joke, folks but kind of serious, whether there should be some kind of like um, aptitude test for, 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 for um, you know, understanding of the media before you can vote. Yeah, it's, like <laughs> it's, a, it's a seductive idea, right? But then you're like, who's making the yeah. test and what's on the test? And what's that, what's that yeah. term for like, um, you know, that, that like racist um, science about um, the better the better and the worst versions of humans? Is it eugenics? Yeah, that's all. Yeah, this, that's kind of voting eugenics, right? Yeah. They should, I mean, it's not ridiculous <laughs> to suggest there should be a little questionnaire about like what are the policies of the parties you're voting for, right? Like that was... Yeah. Because there's people I've had discussions with and... I'm almost certain they think they're voting for the opposite party, like in terms of policies. Yeah. There was that great site that um, actually made me realise that the way I vote is not polls apart, that would be weird, but, you know, it was it was dissimilar to when I typed in my mm. beliefs or responses to what that threw up party-wise. A lot of it's tribal too in New Zealand as well, right? Like people identify with certain things and... I find it really funny there's people that I'm very good friends with that have very different politics to me, but we're quite similar. And yeah. there's people that I'm quite different to that we vote the same way. And you kind right. of, you know, and why is that? Like, it's we don't have massively different, you know? What are you saying? Well, this is the whole thing about um, the polarising nature of modern media is most people back in the day, like the analogy of, like, some parents meeting at the side of a sports game, you'd all talk about the same hopes, wishes, mm. problems and anxieties if you got that deep yeah. as parents together at the side of the school field. Um, irrespective of politics, you know. It's it's a it's a weird divide that doesn't really translate to the practicalities of no, community I, I find people getting on, you know. The people on either side of it will tend to key on like maybe one or two things that gravitates one way or the other, but like on most of the other things they're quite similar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I I would love to know who some of the more um, toxic people I see commenting. Like, I, sometimes I go, <laughs> I wish I knew who you actually were and what you do and like why you're doing this. Because as they say, that division is so. I, I think most of it's just frustrated people. I think. Do you reckon there's something in what I said before that a lot of it is just like wonky teenagers yeah I think there's also people that sit in their shitty yeah fuck you can't you know it's like oh that's okay you know people that yeah. just sit in their shitty office job and like just t- take five minutes to go and comment on stuff articles and abuse people and create all kinds of horrible <laughs> things and then go back and they're great parents and all that like I think it's a weird outlet for a lot of people were you were you have you ever been one of those commenters when you're in the when you're in your cubicle at Chong oh yeah we used to ring up talkback radio but you'd be more you'd be more a clever framing with some actual information right there was one time um, we sent Leighton Smith um <laughs> he was going off about climate change. We sent him a graph showing that, like, the incidence of piracy had gone down and climate change had gone up. So, therefore, the lack of pirate. He read it out on air without, like, any hint of irony. We're like, oh, no. 
Excellent. Um, See, science proves everything. Thanks, Leighton. Are they still? Is that is that is that iteration of that company still going? There must be still like uh, Charlotte are, and those guys were working there. Uh, no, Chong's gone, and then I've moved on to another company that is similar thing that's also gone. But there's still yeah, people doing it. A lot of it's um, automated now. Yeah, would it interest you seeing how um, stuff ended up being framed? Like some corporation have done that. You know, you've got cause for concern with, and then you'd gather all this information. Is interesting. You know, you must have learnt a lot about spin, right? Oh yeah, because they're they're yeah. getting intel off you for spin, aren't they? Ultimately, yeah. there was know? there were funny times when um, when I moved into doing analysis, which yeah. was like you take it and you write a nice little essay about what's going on. Yeah, I'd write something in my analysis yeah. and then give it to them. They'd put in a press release. The press release would go to the paper, and it'd be like word for word stuff I'd written in my analysis. I'm like, what the hell is this? Well, um, what's untoward about that? <laughs> no, I'm asking. Like, no, it's just um, it's just bizarre. Like, he'd gone through all these sets of hands, and like, no one had changed. Right. You know, and like, what I was, I wasn't writing it for the purpose. I was like, in the future, you could frame something like this, right? And so, then they just go, on, "Oh, that sounds good." So that's more that lazy approach to what you do with source material. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was more meaning if you'd kind of noticed something spun. You know, injurious to the public good, following spending all day sort of oh, gathering info about you get, them. You get really troubling things with people like, "Could I have a, a, a update to our brief? Could you include the phrase blind orphans?" And you're like, <laughs> "Yes, I can. I don't want to know why." Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. What is? How do? You, how does that? Oh, you mean that's what you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. Media? Like adding as a keyword that was that we're searching for for a client. And there'd be all kinds of disturbing stuff that would come. Through. What would they want to use with that? Well, I did, this must have been something. You know, there's a lot of lot of weird stuff that came through that never actually made it to the media. So it's a little bit like they're testing the water to see if they get away with stuff. What I what I noticed was what I deduced to be the amount of public money being spent on media monitoring. Like oh, when yeah. I first started, like I say, I, I you know on the back of like having watched all of those anti-capitalism docos that came out early to mid-2000s, I'm like, I'm going to be gathering intel for, like, <laughs> you know, McDonald's and activists and so on. And actually, a lot of it was just, like, um, the Prime Minister's office trying to figure out yeah, what, how to frame... I think know. a good chunk of it is definitely government organisations that spend money on something and they want to track how much media it got and then... Yeah. I'll tell you who spent a lot on that racket when I was there is NZTA. Is that it? The traffic yeah, people. Yeah. The, 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 the road people. A lot. And Lotto. Mm. Lotto. Yeah, there was a lot. <laughs> Lotto big on on spinning the, spinning the dream into news. <laughs> uh, yeah. One of my favourite stories from that time was, I don't know, were you there when, I'm sure I shouldn't say his name, we had an editor there. And I go, beep. <laughs> yeah. And he um, claimed to be proficient in Tereo. Is that the guy that ended up sleeping out the back? He's sleeping in the attic, yeah, yeah. And he was doing all these transcripts of Tereo programs and like it was not at all, I like, had no knowledge of it and was sending it to like uh, to Puni Kokoro. So he was like the sign reader on... Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it went on for months and then someone actually looked at them and went, this is just nonsense. Hang on, because I wasn't there that long. Is that the same guy? That is, if you can remember his name, did his name begin with A? Yes, yeah. Right, so he's the dude who just got stranger and stranger in his behaviour. Yeah, he was... And then I caught him coming out of... I didn't catch him, I should say. I observed him coming out of a bush at the back of the premises with a sleeping bag and a pillow yeah. before or after a shift. So I ended up kind of feeling quite sorry for him, but he was such a yeah, well, I was, douchebag I was working, at the same time. Yeah, he was a massive dick. Um, I was working nights, and I was locking up about one in the morning, and I went into the... Um, Staff room because I heard a noise before I set the alarm. Yeah. And he was sitting in there eating cereal with a duvet around him. And I'm like, hey, he's like, hey, and didn't explain himself. Nothing, just no. I'm just here. Yeah. 
I didn't know about the false today. That's fantastic. Oh. Um, People paying thousands of dollars for transcripts, <laughs> and the guy's just sitting there going, oh, that sounds about right. Hey, so how did the book, so just getting back to the project, like how did the book eventuate? Um, you know, because publishing, again, speaking about m- media changes, um, it's hard to get a book greenlit today, man. Did they approach you or yeah, did you farm um, it out? Or We had um, we were going to do it ourselves and then we just got a message one day in our inbox. Um, someone at the publisher had read our page and thought it was quite funny and thought it might make a good book and yeah. it just went from there. Yeah, and it sold like miserable physical copies right yeah it's the uh, shit towns one new zealand's being reprinted and uh uh, two and australia were all bestsellers so and it was pitched around christmas right so sort of a good like um yeah it's a toilet book for your dad toilet or coffee table i get it man i get it totally and um it's just when you're a writer and you have your you know your vaulting ambition and someone's like you've written a great toilet book you're like thanks (laughs) you know have you seen enjoyable outcome money from it like is it it was you know i, I just don't know um, what things do financially these it days it was worth doing but it wasn't yeah. quite your job money you know yeah yeah it wasn't um, fuck your money as they nah, say no nah. um yeah, yeah this yeah it's um i don't know everyone keeps telling us everything we try and do they're like oh you know there's no money in books or there's no money in, in whatever you know like okay cool you guys seem to be keeping the lights on here somehow so <laughs> i think there's money and good ideas man i yeah. think there's money and good ideas but i think it's increasingly harder to um, get people to part with money in the media and the entertainment world. <clears throat> um, yeah, New Zealand is a bit of a nightmare to get anything made. Like I, anyone who gets anything made, like I just hats off to them. Oh, since I'm using you as like a faux New Zealand media commentator today, um, <laughs> probably the best description. Yeah, you, <laughs> um, what do you think? Do you think the RNZ um, uh, initiatives are going to work? The youth, um, the youth. Right. <laughs> They've been talking about that since I was in uni, I think. Yeah. I, I don't know why they couldn't find another FM frequency. Yeah. I think they have now. I okay. Think, yeah. But yeah. Right, yeah. Because that seems to be a fight I wouldn't necessarily want to pick, is like the audience of Concert FM would probably be quite litigious and quite well-resourced, that's I'd right. imagine. That's right. That's right. It's a lot of, that's a, that's a lot of Zimmer frames, man. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of Zimmer frames. Like, I th- the idea of a, like a basically like a Triple J, I think, is a really good idea. Yeah. But um, I don't know if you necessarily need to sacrifice Concert FM for all the negativity that's going to breed. I think the update there is that there's been official like government kind of press release that, um, like, you know, I think it was literally released from Jacinda's office rather than RNZ, that they've decided to hold that frequency for Concert and create or or unlock or whatever they do another one for the youth frequency i think i think what rnz aren't communicating well enough is that the rnz youth whatever it is isn't like just a radio station that you tune into with like an analog receiver Mm -hmm. i think if they get younger people in and they do it well it'll be like that traditional main method of delivery but then they'll better branch out into like how to get the kids on board with like yeah new media uh, content that's a great idea it just yeah. um, needs the right resourcing yeah I mean RNZ have been doing good stuff that is completely podcast focused like mm. they'll make something that's a podcast first for a younger audience and more diverse audience man like that eating fried chicken in the shower it's like a, a Polynesian comedian kind of getting yeah. people in to talk about mental health so they're kind of getting there but yeah I think they're not telling the pub they're not explaining to the public that well that they're trying to invent a 1998 <laughs> version of a youth station which is kind of like what you alluded to yeah right? 
Well, I mean, has that conversation literally been going on since I was in uni? Which bit? The bit starting like a triple J. Well, um, no, I think what happened was um, early two. Th- so the the big conversation up until the nineties was we need to get more New Zealand music on radio and yep. on and you know broadcast New Zealand in general. And for years on commercial radio, it was about two percent. And then the initiatives that happened to their credit. Um, think like Helen Clark era, you know, focus on on New Zealand music, New Zealand music, um, what are they called? Um, New Zealand on air and all of that. It actually went up to over 20. So that was the original argument for um, a youth station was like if the commercial networks can't do it on their own, mm-hmm. we need a youth station to push. So that that's what I meant by that that era of that argument. Yeah, yeah. But And so what I'm meaning by explaining that is that the new... Um, reasons to have one are, are very different. The, the motivation is and should and and it should be very different to what it was then, mm-hmm. um, which is basically like making sure that it's not pitched to just concert FM listeners for the next thirty years because yeah. is that going to end up? And I suppose it's about growing uh, RNZ's audience eventually. Like you get them. That's what I'm meaning, and, and then, it's about yeah. getting those young people mm-hmm. in, for example, who've like come out of radio schools or comms degrees and whatever, and getting them out of just going into that commercial radio silo yep. and figuring out how to make a public broadcaster work for twenty-year-olds. Mm. Yeah, you know. Well, it goes back to like when you had um, TVNZ six and seven. They yeah. did some really interesting and cool really stuff. Really interesting, man. Um, and that was just people sort of having a bit of freedom and a bit of. And aren't a lot of the biggest like um, you know success stories from that from TVNZ seven like around your generation, like all those comedians and yeah, probably yeah, all that live kind of TV. It's like they say, you know, the kids need somewhere to go and be lousy, right? Like where there's no one really watching, usually just let them have a rip. And you need somewhere with no budget, yeah. like you know. Next to no rules. Yeah, just, um, just have a go and, and make some mistakes. And yeah, I think that's the hardest thing in New Zealand is like there's no you live. That's what it was called. Yeah, eh? that's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, there's not a lot of entry points to stuff. Yeah, no, no, there's not. Um, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like you know, it's it's hard when there's like um, duopolies and so on. You you kind of you get. Here's another, here's a better example of what you speak to. Like, I've thought about this with this podcast. Like, I'm at a point where this is a luxury for me now. I'm not, like, doing it to try and um, derive, like, an income or, yeah. or, or, or a particular media presence or whatever, or whatever from it. But the sort of people I get on and the way I pitch this, if I was younger, or even now, forget the age thing, is, like, if I was in a bigger um, city, like, if I was doing this in, like, London or L.A. or New York or whatever, um, you could actually make a living off something like this if you did yeah. it right but you're right I think it's the tyranny of population as well mm. right well we've had a few things where we've been asked to pitch ideas at people and, and they don't they go a little bit of the way and then they don't you know and you never yeah. really find out and it's just there's no architecture around and you sort of get spit out of the system you're like well what was that we spent a lot of time on something yeah. that didn't go anywhere and yeah but I think it's a, it's a cold hard numbers game yeah, like I, I say man yeah. if 1% of the population are into it that's great and yeah. London, yeah. not so great in Auckland or, or New Zealand. Yeah, it's funny because it's sort of um, a lot of that stuff exists to help fringe things exist in New Zealand. I guess like New Zealand on air and, and all that stuff. Yeah. But I think everything basically in New Zealand is like a fringe thing, really. What do you mean there? Yeah. Like, you know, if you try and pitch like a sitcom or something to them, that, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't really get any it's sort of like, well, that's a bit too mainstream. We're trying to fund the things that wouldn't get funded. Yeah. But like, literally nothing gets funded. Yeah, yeah. And I, but I do think that, I do think that, you know, again, keeping up with what's going on, like, our state TV used to be bizarrely, like, commercially focused and that mm. reflected in what was funded and stuff. It's been really good seeing TVNZ, like, 
um, there's a whole lot of more not fringe, that's the wrong word, I don't want to say that. There's a whole lot of content to appeal to particular demographics rather yep. than a mainstream demographic that are online now. Like they've funded a mm. lot of like um, sitcoms that are like uh, for Chinese women in Auckland, you know? Like yeah, they're yeah, actually sure. doing a lot of that that they, that they weren't. Um, well, we, we just run into problems and we pitch something to people and they'll be like, well, what if you upset people? I'm like, oh, I mean, given our track record, we probably are. Like, Oh, that's good, though, that the other thing you're kind of saying in this statement is that you're getting pitch opportunities, man, because I know you're like, you've had a few ideas on the boil for a few years, right? Yeah, there's lots of stuff we want to do. It's just um, I find comedy is a hard sell in New Zealand because yeah. generally you're dealing with people that are about numbers and money and yeah. And you, just, you need someone who's just going to, you know, back it and go, hey, that seems like an idea that's worth, you know, but it's until you get that, that one person. Well, here's another thing to think about for you that I'm, again, fully aware of with this podcast. This is so New Zealand-focused, it's not funny, okay? <laughs> but then you look at having that same spark of an idea, but it having a global appeal. So I'm thinking about Tim Bat and that um, worst idea oh, yeah. of all time. <laughs> yeah. So like this, like Shit Towns of New Zealand, they just started that for a lark. Mm. And um, some American podcast that was a movie nerd podcast mentioned it, and they've got something like over 10 million downloads, you know. Wow. And he's going to like podcast festivals in the UK and pitching stuff in mm. LA. So there is that to think about, man, like the global, yeah, the globally sure. appealing like concept. Yeah, I think we're kind of lucky at the moment where we're doing it kind of as a like a sideline. So it's not I'm not relying on it to pay the bills. So it's we just do things that we want to do. You know, like we're not like oh god, I got to pay the mortgage, so I'll write this thing I don't really want. I'm to write. trying to coach you into your dreams, Jack. <laughs> no, I think I, we definitely, but I think we're both very. Um, I think we've, we've gotten this far because we're working with people we want to work with. You know, that's yeah. kind of the key thing for us. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think New Zealand, I think you've probably almost got more chance of pitching a show to Netflix than you do to TVNZ. Yeah, well, I have seen some New Zealand stuff on there. I don't know how it's got there. How has it got there? (laughs) That's another problem is everything just becoming Netflix. I'm wondering if my $15 is going to continue. Yeah, well, they're not making any money, are they? I seem to even, I seem to want to watch it on HBO and um, it's not Netflix. How do you get HBO in New Zealand? You have to go back to Sky, but that's a weird, like... That's a weird, like, what do they call that? Reverse, um, you know, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, um, it's been good chatting. Uh, how much more of Australia to to cover? Um, we've got at least another book's worth, I think, yeah. <laughs> no, I meant geographically oh. and town-wise. How many um, I think we've got about another 70 or 80 on the list. They yeah. keep getting added. People suggest towns to us, and I don't know whether they're made up or, yeah. you got to get over there, though, right? Oh, yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, we're going to definitely, definitely do some stuff over there. Okay, well, um, good luck. <laughs> we here at Shit Towns of New Zealand have the solution. Kiwi towns love a big thing. Pairoa has the big LNP bottle. Ohakuni has a massive carrot. Taihape gumboot. Te poke kiwi fruit. Morrinsville cow. Tirao has these things. Gore has a fish. Nakaya has a fish. Topo has a fish. Auckland has a giant hypodermic needle. But some towns have no big thing at all. Nothing to entice the crowds, nothing to attract a punter to stop the car and take a funny video of Dad humping a giant vegetable. For one lucky town, that's about to change. With your generous help, we're going to build and install a brand new big thing. A big what, you ask? Putaruru does not have a big poo, does it? We think it should have a big poo, that's for sure. That's right, a big poo. Research shows that big things appeal mainly to two demographics, children and stoners. Research shows that children and stoners have one other thing in common. They both think poo is hilarious. 
Therefore, a big poo is perfect for enticing the cash-splashing potheads and toddlers. So remember this, New Zealand. As you rush off to work, a little town waits. As you fritter away your spare change on shit beer and weed, a little town waits. And hopes that someone like you will care enough about economic revival in the regions to put a few on the poo.